but you had to spend so much money where now even even a hundred dollar starter base is so precise yeah so much better so good sounding because of the technology in in finishes um like i said in drying of the woods the even the crap metal that they put on beginner instruments is still better quality than like like mid or top level metal of the 50s you know in in certain regards in certain regards steel was of a different you know nature back then it was a lot more pure um kind of like computers like you can walk around with something that is way more um it's way better than anything we would have ever used back when they first started (laughs) the first what was it it was the the first 256 megabyte hard drive used to have to be transported by a 747 (laughs) you know like you know it's it's crazy it's crazy um but yeah so just that the overall technology right the hardness of the metals the purity of the metals and then the invention of the internet where everyone can just go and troll everyone else about how you know this product that product how this spec is better than that spec and then all these companies morphed out of the evolution of the internet and that just that spreading of the knowledge right um so and then on top of all of that i know a dude who plays um cello in um in orchestras and he would tell me stories about spending four hundred dollars on a set of strings (laughs) for his cello and his upright basses and like he would buy some like 200 year old strings yeah right and i'm sure yeah that has a sound to it but nowadays they just they pump strings out right um the the invention of adding a truss rod in so we can have um you know these really tense tight strings um and then what quality those metals are made out of again we have all of these phosphor bronze we have uh steel core we have hex core we have round core we have round wound we have flat wound am i flat wound <laughs> yeah th- yeah right um we'll definitely and- oh go ahead no 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 go well we're gonna get into a lot more of that in another episode but it's true there's yeah i'm riffing i'm riffing i'm riffing i'm sorry it's okay don't worry <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, and then, and then the other thing what you said too, um, is analog versus digital, right? We went from tube to solid state and then we went from back to tube and then now we're in not just solid state, but we have like IR, right? Impulse response. And that's so important. That's the elitist move. Now it's not even just having the, the latest quality and digital equipment, but now it's having you know, the most um, accurate sound because going, as we've discussed uh, several times on this so far, going from yesteryear's sound to today's sound, we, the process is different and we do lose information and you don't get the same sounds going from a tube amplifier into or a solid state amplifier versus through an AxeFX or GT1000 or a camper, you know, yeah. it is different and impulse response really matters. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, you know, the sixties, the seventies and the eighties happened. Mm-hmm. And nowadays we don't just like, you know, either pluck or slap there's, mm-hmm. there's tapping, you know, with, with the slapping, there's a uh, hammer ons pull off. So again, we adding in the frets to the base, we get all of these techniques that are just more easily available to pull off live and being an electric bass versus a stand-up bass right we get to move around mm-hmm. if you look at the the video footage of me i'm all over the stage you know how much harder that would be if i had an upright you know yeah. like um yeah, we both have like this crazy stage presence where we we're one side of the stage and we we're on the other side of the stage and yeah we can't really you can't do that with a stand-up bass. i mean don't get me wrong I would whip that thing around like, you know, like nobody's business. But, <laughs> but even, um, even 
like this guy, I mean, this guy's heavy, you know, and you, I've played three, four hour shows with this one and it hurts your back. Like you have to be, you have to make sure that you're in shape as well. <laughs> right. And that's another addition to technology in the bass because back in the day finishes and the woods and everything used to be so heavy, right? Mm -hmm. Guitars and basses, everything used to be so heavy. My five strings, these two five strings that I have that I use when I play for Nita, um, I had uh, Ibanez BTB five string that I used to play in other bands. And with the finish on it, it was so heavy. And it was only 10 years older. You know, they, these, they don't have, they don't have much finish on them other than like the clear, right? Um, and the other one just had this thick, thick, transparent green yeah. on it. And I'll tell you, that makes your bases so heavy. And even this, like, and, and the addition to longer scale, like this, this is a 35 inch scale where, you know, Fender bases um, were smaller scale. And then once bands started not only getting louder, right, they also started tuning down further and further and further. And the bass had to go with it. And with these short scale bases, unless we want strings this big around, we need to make that scale longer. So that added technology as well. And again, with the planing of the woods, with the qualities of the woods, you know, um, that allowed for the bass to evolve alongside the needs of current music. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um... Not recording analog, I can give you about 500 reasons, but do I miss analog? I do. Um, I'll just say that, you know, I think ever since we went digital, all we keep doing is trying to get back to the same place where we left off with, which was with analog. But with that being said, I think it's just more, uh, time efficient, uh, easier on artist budgets. Sonically, I'm getting probably better sounds than I used to. I would say over the last few years, I'm, you know, I've, I've been at 96 K since I started in digital, other than working on, uh, like digital tape machines, like the Sony 3324 or like, you know, D88s and stuff like that back when we first started switching over. But, um, I think with the way the budgets are there, it's just not, doesn't make any sense to go to two inch anymore. Um, my old room in Louisiana with uh, Brady uh, at Blade Studios, we we had a system called Clasp um, where I could run a two inch reel in between the desk and the Pro Tools rig. So you could cap, it's kind of like a giant tape machine plug-in, but a real tape machine, which was great. I mean, cause then we would only need like two to three reels for a whole record you know just keep using it till it wears out um the last record i did on all analog was brian blade's record landmarks record it was a jazz record we did all the two inch track to half or mixed a half inch and uh sounded it did sound amazing but i mean a lot of that is the players but sonically i thought it was a really great sounding record and uh it did get nominated for a grammy so there is something to be said for that. But that was the last uh, all tape record I did. I mean, um, I think now with the higher sample rates and good clocking on a on a nice rig with good converters, I think, I mean, I don't think uh, it's gonna hurt anything. I, I think uh, we've come to a point now where uh, I'm pretty satisfied with the mixes and the quality I'm getting off of the digital rig. I thought I would never say that, but um i think it's i think we're fine you know yeah so um i was watching uh, a youtube video a few months ago when we were brainstorming about this episode and talking about like how the base basically what what our brains um how our brains uh react towards bass and why we like bass so much and there's right. this YouTube channel called The Verge. In, in 2015, they put out um, this video, basically talks about why we love 
bass and music so much. And they link it to cognitive science that basically um, in the womb, when we are first, you know, uh, made and <laughs> our life is, is, is evolving, you know, is uh, e evolving and we're coming to be uh, a little baby. We're in the womb and when we develop our, our sense of audible, we start listening to the mother's heartbeat and we start listening to the swishing of, of the, uh, the, the water and, and the liquid that's inside and of the mother's womb and we, and then everything is muffled. Uh, her, her voice and everyone around it is all muffled. So we're already linked at the beginning of our life to low frequency. And even throughout, I get, I get very, very crazy on this particular subject of frequencies yeah. because um, even the hum of the earth mm -hmm. as it travels through space and it transcends into our feet and that vibration and when a car goes by and we don't necessarily hear it or a truck or a train and we feel it, mm -hmm. that's a different form of haptic feedback, Yeah. right? It's when we have low frequencies, it doesn't just go to our ear. Mm -hmm. It goes to our whole body and we're able yeah. to perceive it Cat throughout. Hair. Yeah. Throughout all extremities. Yeah. You know, you can't always hear a guitar solo with your hands, but you can always hear the bass solo with your hands for sure. Yeah. Yeah, um, like when cats purr, they're actually emitting a, a healing frequency. Um, I get, yeah, I get very crazy on this subject. This would be a 17-hour video if I was allowed <laughs> to talk about frequencies. Right? Yeah, this this video basically says that it changes our adrenaline and our heart rate. Uh, right. And that's why we're we're able to identify it with it so so much. And you know, the baseline is this is is the structure of the, that the melody hangs upon, right? So if we're listening to a drum beat and we're trying to listen to um, the, you know, the bass line, it's, it's actually moving us and we don't even realize it. It's moving our, our um, just cognitively, we're, 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 we're in the middle of it. We can and scientifically say that just the low frequencies because of how powerful they are and how much we amplify them, right? Yeah. That's why they're so powerful because we amplify them at shows and stuff. Um, anybody who's ever been on YouTube and seen any of those videos about the vibrating plates with the sand, like, or, or oh, salt rather, yeah. vibrating plates with the salt and they change the frequency on the frequency generator and it makes all these different shapes. Yeah. If you take into account just the fact that we have salt in our bloodstream, yeah. that you have to realize that it's going to dance like jumping beans inside of us yeah. in reaction to oh, certain frequencies. Yeah, water as well, you know. Yeah, yeah, we're all as fluid. The, as the earth moves, the water is moving and we're made of water. It's all connected there, so... Yeah, so since we're babies, we are connected to this. But isn't that weird, though, how the for a long time, we haven't really connected with it until as of recent years, though. We haven't really connected with bass. I think in different forms, right? Like a lot of those guttural tribal singers, mm -hmm. right? They really get down. <laughs> yeah. You know, like they really they're they're focusing on that same particular energy, I think. Right. Yeah. And there's there's very many biblical stories about uh, the Jewish tribes uh, chanting and singing in the sands and the sands in the deserts changing around them and changing okay. shapes. Did, did All right, everybody. So here's Tommy Victor from Prong and Danzig here to answer some of our base questions. Um, first one here, man, is when I was on the road with you, you told me that like at one point, all members of Prong were bass players and that you started playing bass first. And now you seem to play a lot of guitar. And we noticed that, at least I've noticed that most of the time it's guitar players switch to bass out of necessity. But you're a bass player who switched to guitar out of necessity. So I wanted to get into that and see if being a bass player first and then moving to guitar, if that in influenced any of your riffage and anything else you had to uh, expand upon on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, concentrating on single notes and playing along with a kick drum with a drummer, you're locked in as a rhythm section. 
I don't think a lot of guitar players experience it as much as a bass player does. And so when I switched to guitar, I mean, I was still in that framework of, of playing with the drummer, you know, and just listening to his kick drum and working off his patterns and, uh, and vice versa. Like I, it came from a more percussive mentality uh, and just strictly rhythm with the guitar, you know, like I wasn't concerned with solos. I couldn't, I didn't have a chance. I moved right from bass into playing guitar. I mean, I followed, fiddled around with guitar here and there, but I, I never really learned that much. I mean, so uh, solos, I've been faking solos since <laughs> I started. I mean, it's just been like, you know, any bullshit I could come up with and make it sound like it's real. Is Play it I'm as fast with. as you can and move, move yeah. around as quick as you can and yank yeah. the any bar. Yeah, and it's worked, you know, which is crazy, you know, and, you know, uh, that's why a lot of times I, I, I always make fun of guys that use a wah-wah pedal so much. I'm like, that's just, you know, that's copying up for your your inefficiencies or whatever. But that's not really that true. But uh, no, I mean, it's a I mean, that's how I prong started was like having a bass player fix the guitar created that sound like this whole groove metal thing really came from. Right. From yeah. Idea. You're you're the riff beast. Yeah, right, it's just riffs. I mean, I wasn't concentrating. I mean, solos were an afterthought. In fact, when our first demo, there was no solos on it, and then we were like, "Well, we wanted to be crossover. We just didn't want to be a hardcore band. We wanted to cross into some metal." So after I figured out how to fake solos, we went in and overdubbed some guitar solos on it. So, uh, yeah, in fact, it was. We had three bass players, one like wanting to form this band, and it was like. We were writing songs, and I was like, who's going to play guitar? And we were going to have two basses. This other guy was going to switch. He left. So then we, we went down to this power trio format. Mike, the, the original member that we formed the band with, bass player, he goes, I'll play bass, you play guitar. He goes, you look like you're playing pretty well. And I was like, uh, I was like okay, fine. And the <laughs> so thing when, is, when you were the first... What was the first thing that you did? Did you like, did you already know like uh, a power chord shape? Yeah, yeah, I knew bass? power chords. That's about it, really. You know, I knew some power chords. Um, the pinch harmonic thing that, you know, I've been noted for, I don't know how that came about. about. I mean, it may be from something on the bass where I, you know, plucking the strings really hard. And the fact that you're, for years, since I'm 11 years old, playing these heavier strings. And then moving to lighter strings, I was like, well, this is easy. I mean, this, it had a, it, I was like playing guitar in my mind, it was easy at first because it was like, I didn't have to struggle that much. So right, everything was smaller. It, it, the right. strings were easier to push down. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that false harmonics and you know, I've always used heavier guitar strings than your average guy, but you know, like that came about I, by accident. I mean, trying to emulate like some some zz top or something you know uh but right. if uh, uh if i'm not mistaken aren't your guitar strings it's like the uh the highs are a set of 11s and like the, yeah. the lows are a set of like 10s or something uh it's 56 to 11 so. 56 oh okay yeah 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 so we're, yeah, yeah it's a little it's, it's they're, they're beefy they're definitely yeah beefy. yeah oh that's right uh, yeah not on all tunings though yeah not on all tunings so, uh, but, uh, you know, anything detuned, I got to go that low. Otherwise, it's just too much wobble. But back to bass. So, you know, making that transition was, uh, it was a cool thing. I mean, um, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun at first. And now I, now I feel bad. Like I, I was, uh, because I'm so uneducated on guitar. And uh, like, I just, because we were in the pandemic and I was like, you know, I better, I've been listening to a lot of classic rock. So I was, I went online and this guy had figured out the hundred best, uh, what he thought best uh, guitar riffs in rock of all time. And this guy's just going through from Yes to Rush to Zeppelin and just bashing out one after made a whole medley of a hundred. I'm like, I can't play any of these fucking songs because <laughs> I never learned. I never learned how to play guitar really. <laughs> right. You know, like I learned on the road. I learned like, you know, just, whatever watching and i never really learned how to play cover songs you know it's like playing playing guitar with danzig and a lot of these songs i didn't have anything to do with the original recording is weird too but uh you know it's just making my own music and writing my own stuff playing bass was like it was integral to the sound of prong and you know later yeah, it made, on it definitely made that band too. heavy i think 
Yeah. You know, and then I was able to write some of the bass lines and go, you know what, dude, like play this. Right. And like guys are like, you know, um, like, you know, like to like to snap your fingers, snap your neck. I mean, that's like a bit that's like a bass song, really. Yeah, it is. You know what I mean? It's like that's that bass riff like that I wrote was really on the bass. But, you know, it's so a lot of it uh, was cool with that. That's I mean, it's a key element to my career is like playing bass. And I still really enjoy playing bass. Like I play it on the last couple of Danzig records. And, you know, it's like it's uh, it's been a it's been a fun ride. But now I feel like, you know, like I'm a really shitty guitar player. So (laughs) on the other hand, it's like it's like it's it's it has its it's duality to the whole thing. And I almost feel like a shitty bass player because I, I, I missed out years of even playing that much, you know? So. You have seen some of the best bassists play live. You sat down to dinner with them. You probably have their numbers on your phone. So I've deleted all, I've deleted all the evidence. <laughs> <laughs> so I, in be, being a bass player, I wanted to kind of expand with you on what you, th- who you think the best bassist is out there. Who do you think is the reigning champ? Wow. It, it's such a, a loaded question because look, for me, the importance of each individual member of a band is about what the band's message is or what the band's sound is, right? I mean, that's, you know, you could go back and look at Zeppelin and think, okay, John Paul Jones, probably one of the greatest bass players ever walked the face of the earth, right? But it's because of what he did in that band, you know, and how he filled every gap that he needed to fill, but never overplayed his bass playing was so melodic. He was very McCartney-esque in his, the melodies, you know, that he would play, right? But he wasn't singing. He kept himself busy playing keyboards and doing everything else that he was doing, you know, in the, on those records. And he was a great writer, still is. Um, but then I look at guys that are much less credited as great bass players, like Dennis Dunaway from Alice Cooper. Dennis Dunaway may be the greatest bass player that's ever recorded bass parts on records because he's completely unique. There's in all the years of listening and all the music I listen to, I can't tell you that there's another guy that plays like Dennis Dunaway does, you know, he's completely on his own planet. And that to me is probably the thing that makes bass players great. You know, I mean, Billy Sheehan is a great bass player right? Hands down, probably the most proficient bassist that's ever had mainstream success, right? If you were to look at it that way. Um, But is Billy the greatest bass player on the planet? I don't, I don't know. Some people don't like the way he plays, you know, Uh, other people love it because he's a shred guy and that's what they love. But for me, it's never been about shred. It's been about what's right for the band, you know, Mm -hmm. Cliff Williams from ACDC, may be the greatest bass player on the planet because he only plays what is absolutely necessary for those songs and live and in on on the records he is the foundation of everything he and the drummer phil rudd are there's just no more solid rhythm section of course malcolm's part of that too but those guys you can't you can't knock those guys because he just plays a straight bass part you know that's what he does what the bass was intended for which is hold down the bottom uh yeah. dusty hill from zz top is the same you know i mean dusty plays some badass grooves on those records you know and it's nothing complicated it's not over the top crazy but man is it could you imagine zz top with anything else you know what i mean it just doesn't it doesn't add up so i guess it's all about how you know, ian hill from Jews priest mm-hmm. he's another guy People, I think Ian Hill has the greatest gig in rock and roll ever. I mean, he's he's he he has a three foot box on the stage that he stands in for the most part. He plays, he just throws down every night. And when you see them live, there's a lot more going on with Ian's bass playing than you hear on the records. And until more recently, I think, right? But Ian is just. You know, the other thing about a lot of those guys is they're just the nicest guys in the world, you know, and that's the other thing that I love about the my life and the experience that I've had. I've gotten to work for a lot of bands that I grew up listening to, and 
I, I have to say that I've never really been disappointed by any of the people that I grew up, you know, you know, putting on a, a pedestal as a, as a, as a young musician or as just a music fan, you know? So I'm fortunate in that world. I've had other people that I didn't care for at all anyway, kind of live up to exactly what I was expecting, but it's, um, it's so nice when you get into that world and you see these guys that just, when they step on stage, it's just, it's perfect. So they don't have to play a lot of notes. They don't have to be, you know, they don't have to be, you know, tapping and, you know, slapping and popping and, you know, whatever else it's what's right for the song, you know, and what's right for the band. You know, I mean, could you imagine ACDC with a, with Billy Sheehan playing bass? It'd be idiotic, you know? Um, so I think it's just about what's right, you know, for the sound. And, and that's, that's not for any of us to decide, you mm -hmm. know, that's for us to listen to and go, yeah, I, I get that. You yeah. Know? Yeah, exactly. That was a trick question. It, yeah. You don't know who the best bassist is because everyone has their own opinion on it. And there's so yeah. many there with technique. And then there's so much just, just being a solid bassist. Yeah. Um, the best bassist would be somebody that is just solid uh, who plays the parts well and you can hang with and goes well with the band and yeah. it, it, it's different for every band so yeah and it's it's key in this business you know I mean we talk about this a lot and I know that you and I've had this discussion over the years too it's 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 not always about you know you don't have to be the best to have this job right you know you just have to be the right person for this situation and that's the same in the crew world it's the same in you know, in the band and musician world. Um, but, you know, there are those people that do stand out, you mm. know, and there's those guys that have had different successes in different parts of the business, whether it's live or recording or whatever, you know, where they shine, you know. So we're going to do the first position here in D major. That means that I'm going to be starting this pattern on the D note, which in this particular case is on the 10th fret of the E string, right? That's a D. So now I'm going to do this pattern, which is going to be 10, 12, 14, 10, 12, 14, 11, 12. And that's one octave. Now I like to do this pattern three notes per string. You just have to know where you're gonna end and where you're gonna begin. One octave, right? And I like to do it like this. And when you do that, you get a nice, you get a nice rhythm when you get three notes per string. Now from our root, of the D, we're gonna move down a step and a half, which means we're gonna go down three notes. And we are now on the seventh fret of the E string. I have a five string bass, so do not get confused. <laughs> so we're gonna go seven, nine, 10. Seven, nine, 10, seven, nine. And that's one octave. Again, I like to do this pattern, three notes per string. So it's gonna be seven, nine, 10, seven, nine, 10, seven, nine, 11, seven, nine, 11. Why can I play that fast? Because I've played it nine million times. Yeah. So Not because really, it's my first time playing it. And can I get better? Absolutely. That's absolutely. why I practice every day. So what so, he's doing? So what you're doing there is you're taking um, your major scale and you're just extending more notes on either side of the scale to fit the neck. And yeah, is the three each. notes per string pattern right? No, no matter what instrument I'm playing, whether it's a four string bass, a five string bass, a six string bass. It does change if you're tuning. All right, this is for the nerds out there. If you tune your six string bass to um, the high note to a C, these patterns are a little bit different, but I tune my six string bass, the high note to a B, just like it would be on a guitar. Right. So I 
they use were. the same patterns <laughs> going from bass to guitar. Um, I just, I didn't know when I got my first six string that you would tune that high string to a C. I didn't know. No one told me. It didn't yeah. come with a manual and how to tune it. So yeah. I just tuned it how my guitar was tuned. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's a big thing. Now here, I want to talk about, I am sitting right now. Um, I don't have a standing shot here and we will do other stuff with that where we show good posture with standing. Maybe we'll do a whole episode on different postures for different instruments. Um, but I am making sure to keep my hand flat here. And a big thing that I talk about all the time is my pivoting on my thumb. Now, every time I approach these scales, I'm keeping my thumb right behind my fingers. So if my hands move down, so does my thumb. So when I run through those scales, you can be rest assured, my thumb is right here at all times. And I split the difference. When I play that major scale, three notes per string, my thumb is basically right behind my middle finger. So that way, even when I'm using my pinky all the way up here, I have my thumb basically right behind the 12th fret, allowing my pinky to also have some use. So it's yeah. not just the pinky working. Everything is always that finger and my thumb. That is yeah. a major thing that I wish that I knew. Yeah, um, you don't want to see the thumb coming up over over the uh, the neck so much because you lose you lose this part of your hand when you're trying to play notes. I have pretty big hands for for a girl. I definitely have big hands, but I so I I, I do have a little bit of of reach. But the problem is that your your um, uh, your joints don't bend any more than what they do. So right, and once we once we get these techniques down, we can afford to be a little bit lazier. Like I mm -hmm. will be caught with my thumb up here when it shouldn't yeah. be. That's yeah. only because I've focused so much and built up the strength already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, but it it is important to make sure that you're articulating the notes properly. So that means that you need as much finger length as possible to reach those notes especially i mean the bass the bass neck is is typically a little bit bigger than the um, guitar neck so now it doesn't mean that because you have, you have small hands that you can't play a bass you can't play a guitar that's completely completely not what i'm saying i'm just saying that you have to make sure that your hands are given the opportunity to hit the, the notes properly absolutely and so that is a lot with my left hand technique, right? Is mainly focusing on the thumb and where that is, right? And um, when I'm doing that major scale too, and this is no pick, but when I'm doing the major scale, again, I'm keeping my thumb where my middle finger is. And even though this is a big stretch, when I go 10, 12, 14, that's a big stretch. But what I'm doing is I'm centering around where my middle finger is and then I'm reaching back a little bit for the 10, centering on the 12, and then reaching up a little bit for the 14. What most people do is they have their thumb, they'll have their thumb behind their index finger, and then they'll have to reach up for the 12 and then reach up again for the 14. And the reason why that is such a hard thing to do is your thumb is now all the way over here, and you're trying to do this move, and you don't have that dexterity yet. So you got to split the difference. So it's it's easier um, to just reach back a little bit, center, reach up a little bit, then be all the way back here with our thumb and then reach up and then reach up again. You know, like you don't have that strength. Don't, don't be afraid to start on your middle finger if you're, if you're doing a run. I mean, a lot of people, you know, they think, oh, first note, start on your, on your index finger. Don't be but afraid learned, to start on a different finger. When I do the major scale, I'll do the major scale now again in D in a standard position yeah. up. Yeah. I start that with my middle finger when I do that in a standard position. Right. Um, that's and I do that with all the pentatonic scales. If it starts like that and I need to have this finger here, yeah. I will start with my middle finger on that scale. But again, I like to learn if you're picking up a third or a flat fourth or something, yeah, you need that that extra finger back there. I also like to play the notes, uh, the scales three notes per string because my favorite interval end, Killian's, is the ninth. And that yeah. means that when you play the major scale or the minor scale, it would be the ninth note in this pattern. 
so right here would be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And that sound that you get for the ninth is. Right. It is right up from the octave. It's not, it's what um, a whole step from the octave. So it's not far from it. Right. It's just you're extending that scale. And that's why it's important to a learn. A ninth is just an octave of the second. Yeah, exactly. Which in both cases of the major and the minor scale is of a very neutral note. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why it's important to know your scales front to back and how they extend and, and, and come back. Now, another thing that I mentioned um, is that we've talked a lot about in a couple of these episodes is where you want your thumb to be. And I yeah. happen to have these soap bar pickups. Mm -hmm. So I always get myself a good posture, a move so you can see. Now, I if I'm standing up, I'll drop this down here. Yeah, if I'm standing up. I'm going to keep myself fairly straight when I'm playing. You're going to notice that I'm going to be a little bit more bent. This will eventually lead to some form of irritation. So you might just have to drop your leg down if you're going to be playing. Yeah, I find that when I play guitar, like acoustic guitar or I, or I play bass sitting down, uh, my forearms just just start really aching. Yeah, you get I was showing one of my students you get you could see. Mm hmm. If I had the sailor lady, she'd be she'd be dancing right now with her hula. <laughs> yeah. You know, but yeah, the, when you're doing that, you're getting um, a lot more fatigue because yeah. you have these harsh angles. When you straighten yeah. out, it's a you lot. Don't get harsh. as much of the harsh angle, um, mm -hmm. and you're not, you know, you're not extending the ligaments and then moving the action. They're relaxed and then actioning. Yeah. Not extended yeah. and then actioning. <laughs> that has a lot to do with how your fatigue will be. Um, so one awesome thing that I'm going to have to read this off of here, um, but just watch my right hand. This is okay. Killian's exercise. So it's yeah. I'm going to do this on the E string, open E string. And we have our one, our two, and then our three. Mm -hmm. oh, there we go. Yeah. So our first finger, our <coughs> second finger, and our third finger. And so this pattern is going to be three two one three so all right so that's the first part of the pattern and there's three parts so it's three two one three and then two one three two so three two one three and two one three two and then the last part of the pattern is one three two one and if you work on those three those three gallops um it's an astonishing right hand right. technique now killian yeah. uses all 10 fingers all right there's no lie when that dude plays his bass he's like mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah <laughs> I, I can't even believe the stuff that he does whether it's bass yeah. or guitar he does amazing thumping tapping um slapping popping finger picking um strumming chords any everything it's so crazy all the stuff that he can do um but that is i've used that this technique now for a few of my students uh -huh. um just to, I, I play with the pick, so I don't work on it that much for myself. I'm I'm a pick player. I do this sometimes to keep myself, but I also learn how to just keep it going, right? And I, I could hear that I was a little not even, so I have to learn yeah. how to pull myself down, right? More of a gallop, yeah. Yeah, and then and bring yourself down. Yeah. Um, it's really, really, really important stuff. Yeah. I'm so happy that we're able to give little lessons here. I know this is the, this is what I was really looking forward to is being able to share the lessons that'll really cut through the red tape, you know, and get yeah. people to and so these are the, these are the main points that I think that we should focus on. Um, yeah. Everything else that we'll cover from how to hold a pick, um, yeah. what strings to use, how to tune, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, there's a whole segment we can do, or the whole thing we could do about pick versus fingers too. So, and everybody, just know we're just starting off. This is just the yeah. beginning. This is yeah. just the beginning. Yeah. This is so great. We can talk about fourth this. episode in. We're already doing lessons. Who would have thought? Hey. We'd do this, right? <laughs> to finish off, and I'm gonna do all of these in the example of D. All right. So whatever you'll see me doing from here on out will be an example of it. But the major scale is our first anchoring point that we want to drill over and over. We want to go. 
The reason why we want to do that is because out of the seven diatonic modes, three of those modes are major. If we want to play the Lydian mode, and what I mean by major is they use what's called a major third. So that means that our third note is two full steps away. All right? Our third note in this pattern is two steps away. So it makes it major because that that's just called a major third. If you don't know, it is. So the Lydian mode is just the major mode with a raised fourth. So a Lydian mode would be, we changed one note. The Mixolydian mode would be the same as the major, except we would have a flat seventh. So it'd be like this. That's it. Now you know all three of those modes because you drilled that major mode over and over. What is the major also called? As a mode. Ionian. The Ionian. Uh, Ionian, uh, Mixolydian, and. Uh, I, I did Ionian, and then Lydian, and then Mixolydian. I did them in their modal order. Yeah. The other mode is the, that we're going to drill over and over is the minor mode. Again, I'm going to do this in the key of D. Relative to that major would be the key of B, but eh, I'm doing it over here. So. <laughs> So we have D minor. It is D minor because I'm starting it on the D note, which is the 10th fret on the E string. Before we did it over here. Right? So now we're doing it over here. Same pattern. If we want to play another one of the modes, let's say the Phrygian mode, we would play the same pattern except the second note is going to get flattened. So our pattern is now to play the Phrygian mode. Now reset ourselves back to the minor mode. Now, if we want to play the Dorian mode, which would be the second mode of the diatonic modes right after the major, we're going to play the same exact thing as the minor mode, except we're going to raise the sixth note up one half step sorry <laughs> there we go boom the only other mode left is the most difficult and it's the locrian mode and the reason why it's the most difficult is because now we have to move two notes as opposed to every other time when we only had to move one and now locrian we are going to move the second note of the minor scale down and we're also going to move the fifth note down both by a half step so now our pattern is this done that's all seven diatonic modes also the minor is just called, the minor is called what also Oh, and the minor is called Aeolian, right? So go. our diatonic mode order by the little anagram that I like to use is I don't pick lemons my aunt likes. That means Ionian or major, Dorian, Phrygian, Lydian, Mixolydian, Aeolian or minor, Locrian, and then it repeats. Mm -hmm. So the major and the minor, they have two different names, but that's major is Ionian, yeah. Aeolian is minor. Yeah, it's not um, hard to remember them. If you remember those orders, that's half the battle, right? But really, all you have to do is just know where a major is. If you're playing anywhere, that you just, if you find your major, if you find where the do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, di, do, if you find out where that is in a song, then you just go down a step and a half, and now you play your minor, uh, minor pattern. Yay, I hope somebody learned something from that. That's awesome. They better. You know, right? <laughs> this is the basics of the basics, but this is very, very important. So if you don't know this already, then this is, you just need to watch this over and get it down. Sorry. All right. So <laughs> Number one, 
what is the the right hand technique that you relied on the most and as well as the left hand technique for when it came to playing bass in specific um so when i was a little younger i had a little bit of a playing injury scare and i went back to the drawing board and i saw a player named gary willis and he gave me this um technique um i cannot recommend gary willis enough but of raising your elbow for technical music the reason why for this is for the right hand specific uh answer is that when you have your elbow raised up when you're doing technical things your wrist is straight versus where you see a lot of fusion guys they do what i call raptor claw and that can lead to a lot of strain issues here because you're technically like giving an obstacle between where the energy is being transferred so that was a big one and then on top of that was my three finger technique which was from billy sheehan um, which i was very fortunate enough to like do some work with him and it's basically three two one three two one three two one three two one technique to break up the gallop um, now and you do that it's 12 notes right mm -hmm. broken into a movement of three fingers separated four notes at a time exactly so right. um that between those two things are the biggest things from my right hand that helped me um i will say this as much as the breaking the four note pattern. I really try and give all my students injury prevention. Try and raise your elbow. If you ever feel strain, try and correct things your body feels. Your body is always telling you if it's straining yourself. And I play a lot of technical crazy music. So like stuff like that, like if, so if you're playing a lot of crazy stuff, don't ever do like this, try and raise your elbow. So that's for that. For my left hand, uh, it's much more simple. Uh, real quick, before we yep. get there, how do you position your right hand? Now, I have a, a very, um, I don't know, I, I just look into this a lot. I'm very intrigued about this. But now, you play so many things and you're, you move so fluently with your fingers. Thank you. Do you ever do four fingers? Um, I do for four note patterns on my low string. So um, let's say if like I'm playing an abiotic song, go. But it's one end of one end of one end of it. Then I'll do like a flurry, like a flamenquilla. Yeah. Now, when you do that, how are you positioning yourself? Because all four fingers, right? For new players, right? All four fingers are different heights. So when I when I do uh, three finger patterns, I have to shorten up my middle finger a lot. Uh, no, 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 no. To, to match, and then to match my pinky, I would have to shorten them up even more. Yeah, so I only use four fingers for bursts. So that's very specific. So let's pretend my finger is a string. So if I'm going, so I will raise and angle my hand. Right, yeah, you're, you're angling okay. your hand to bring it, right. But when I do three, I try and uh, do what Billy Sheehan does, is that I try and level everything. So four awesome. is that I'm doing a burst and coming down like it's an angled burst but with three when i'm doing like 30 second notes it's like that but that, that is a very good question because a lot of people like i do use my pinky i had to it, figure that out on my own you know what i mean and that's the whole purpose of this is like that you know how long it took me to just sit there and like flub a note and be like why is that why every time when i hit with this finger is it falling behind or is this one too far ahead it's because they're different lengths yeah, yeah. Um, you, have to make, you have to make up for that on your own. Yeah, a big part of my private instruction um, is showing people how to, like, regardless of their anatomy, is to kind of compensate for regardless of their handship. Like, look, dude, I'm five and a half feet tall. I don't have big hands. But it doesn't matter. I play bass. I play upright bass, whatever. Um, I think anyone's anatomy can be adjusted slightly to be able to do these things. And I, I, I always bring that message of optimism to people. We're like, especially with like slap stuff and stuff like that. Like, oh, my thumb is shaped weird. I go like, dude, I have like a little itty thumb. Like, I think it's just, there are a lot of things that people, it's details, it's little details. And I think that that's important because I think as much as the internet's awesome, we also have done this culture of where like, 
oh, well, there's a video, go figure it out. But, you know, first time I taught, I, I studied with Matthew Garrison, he taught me a lot of things in person, where it's like little nuances with that. Um, but I'm not trying to deviate too long. The second thing is, and it's tied to that, with my left hand. Um, and it's really one finger for fret for everything, doing scale exercises and trying to eliminate finger flare. And uh, finger what? So like when you're doing certain scales, just when we're starting to develop left hand technique, like um, just by the nature of how our tendons work, like we have like a finger that will flare out. Like we have pinky flare. Oh, finger flare, yeah. A finger yeah. flare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I try to reduce it as much as I can. I'm not saying that I'm perfect at it, uh, and I don't think anyone is. I've seen Anthony Jackson and Victor wouldn't have finger flare, but the difference is the purpose is that you always have one finger per fret and that if you do a complicated motion, you don't have a finger that flares out. Like you ever have an introductory. Right. I call that staying yeah. at attention. That's a good way of putting it as well. Yeah. 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 I noticed that like, uh, especially in the beginning, like if I would hit with, with one finger, right. The, all the others would go out. That's a very common thing. Right. Or, mm -hmm people like like will completely throw the pinky out you know like really far and yeah. I, as i got better at things i was like well why is this guy faster you know why can he hit that riff faster and then it's like well my hand looks like i'm playing whack-a-mole and his hand is calm looks like that it's just like if he if you see like um a perfect example it's not a bass player but like guthrie govan his left hand is just like smooth as silk it looks like he's barely moving and what it is basically that's just a lot of scale exercises a lot of dude listen guys everybody <laughs> tone is so important you really you have to understand you have to understand what good tone is um about that i think the reason why i bought my first ibanez off this kid for a hundred bucks um, is a lot of the basses, uh, bass players that I listened to, they played two companies at that time. Um, it was mainly either Ibanez or it was Fernandez. Mm -hmm. Those yeah. two companies were like rocking 90s rock and roll. Um, and it was just always this this thing that I heard on in the street, like, oh, if you want an Ibanez, if you get yourself an Ibanez, man, you 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 won't be upset. You won't be upset. Like they had the, this great reputation for an inexpensive, awesome bass. Yeah. You know, they didn't always look great. They didn't always have like the coolest cuts and whatever on all their bases. They were kind of round and like, but um, they they were known to be reliable most of the time. You know, yeah. like and a decent price and. That's also probably why I play with a pick, not just because I also play guitar, but all the bands I listen to. Again, I, I grew up listening to a lot of industrial music. Mm -hmm. They all used picks, right? Um, and you were into Clutch at the time. Yeah. Um, what other bands are you into? Did you like start learning and adapting that style from like, once you had to learn this stuff for these songs, did you learn um like songs that you liked and trying to emulate certain tones from certain bands i was a workhorse because i got thrown into the fire and i had to maintain this uh you know knowing the songs and then as soon as we got those songs down there's new songs to learn plus i was working on my stage presence i mean i was really working on all of this stuff at once so i had no time to learn theory learn anything but you know the numbers of the of the frets you know and so um, after that band, I went straight into another band um, where I was a co how was your How was your bass tone in the first band? I don't, uh, horrible as far as I'm concerned because I would never, I would never have had that tone now. If I would have choose, if, if I could go back and learn about tone, I wouldn't have had that tone. But that tone was chosen by the guitar player of the band That'll happen. Band. That'll happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Bass players know, get bullied. Yeah, if you don't, yeah, yeah. If you don't like, <laughs> if you don't know about your tone, you're, yeah, they're going to tell you about your tone. So, yep. um, uh, bass players, <laughs> bass players definitely get bullied in practice. They get bullied on the stage. 
Now, here's yeah. a big thing. Most people think, and we all we all think so too. Like so much of the best part of the bass as an instrument is the bass frequency, that low end. But if you yeah. don't have your tone set up right, where yeah. your 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 low ends with your highs with your mids, if you don't have those tones EQ'd out right, you're gonna get told to turn down every time. If you're only boosting those frequencies that rumble people's guts and not anything above that where they can hear it too, you're just always gonna be told to turn down. And so you can turn down those rumbling shit frequencies that are great for your subwoofer, not for the stage, right? And um, you, you you turn them down with EQs and you boost up those those higher lows, right? Those Those low mids. Yeah, area and then it. you can get some of that stuff where you can hear it and feel it mm -hmm. and you know and for me playing with the pick that 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 high-end noise is so important that string twang for me yeah. opposite of you right yeah. is it's so important that i get it that even if i um if i have old strings on i have to try and like boost that signal a little bit in the eq so that way i can keep that tone yeah that it's just such a tone is such a crazy concept if you don't know anything about it right and tone comes from everything it comes from your your instrument it comes from your gear it comes from your fingers it comes from how you play it comes from your fingernails especially if you're playing with your with your fingers if your fingernails are not cut you're going to hear that on the on the bass string um can you repeat that can you repeat that i'd like you to say that one more time because <laughs> so, no because this is i we've never touched on this and i can't believe it but i i yeah please say yeah. that again I, I like this tone comes from everything it doesn't just come from the knobs on your on your <laughs> on your rig it comes from the instrument you play it comes from the rig it comes from your fingers it comes from your, your strings it comes from your fingernails it comes from how you play it all of your attack if you play with a pick everything in your tone comes from from you in your personal choices in your gear and how you play yeah that's right around somewhere i think like 2012 2011 2012 is when i started working with wb gear and i yeah. uh, started and learned about you and because yes. You handle everything like personally yourself with that. And that's always yeah. been so awesome of you, you know, to yeah. put so much extra work on top of yeah. all this other stuff. Right. Lot, so you Yeah. A lot of people don't realize like the WB gear thing. That's my, like my side gig, you know, this is my main gig is, is working with bands and touring with bands. That's where I make my, my, you know, my bulk of my income, but uh, the WB gear thing's a side thing and uh, it's been great. It's, you know, so good. It's so I get good. to, you know, it works because I'm on these stages and I'm always meeting new artists like you. And uh, from there, you know, being and you able take to, care of a lot of people, yeah, man. You guys, yeah. you guys take care of a lot of people. I've been, been nothing very but grateful. Yeah. I've been yeah. nothing and, but grateful. Yeah, we, you know, and it's there. It's like you know, look. Currently, we work with ten brands. If you want to use them, they're there. If you don't, cool. Support the ones you use, and that's what we tell artists. You know, and you know, of course, you have to qualify at a certain level we don't just you know hand out everything you know you got to be doing something you got to be active you got to have some social media presence for sure but all you got to do is be active in the right yeah. ways because i'll yeah. tell you like i wasn't a, a touring artist like i am now at that no. time you know what i mean like i was doing stuff i was hustling and but you were hustling you were posting things you were making posts you were you know interacting with people you know so that, that that's a giant part of it you you've got somewhat of a following on your social media i love you know some of these dudes they'll they'll message me and they, they got like 100 people following them and they nothing on their social media and then they get offended because it's hard for me to justify you know for for these brands to justify doing you know things well all these brands are really generous too like there's yeah. some really awesome discounts i can't afford everything you know I, my yeah. wish list is super long yeah. like every musician you know but um yeah, yeah dude like i I'll tell you, getting guitar picks with my name on it, right? And it was because of In Tune with WB yeah. Gear. That was like the first moment <laughs> in all those years oh, yeah. where I was like, I got this first bag of picks and I was like, I made it. <laughs> like, Dude, I know. It's like I the coolest thing. God, man. That's, 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 that's been one of the funnest 
aspects of the job is being able to you know help artists give them their custom pick or or you know sh- you know sit strings and gauges in their sizes or you know yeah oh, man I, I used to have to buy two packs because i'd only like to use this and you know i'd only like to use these ones out of this pack and then i'd waste you know, yeah that's that's been one of the coolest parts about it yeah i've been i've been a string whore my whole life in that regard it's always been you know playing extended range instruments uh yeah. you know in crazy tunings in the way music is nowadays you know yeah. um yeah you always sometimes you need like a super thick b string or super yeah. you know thick g string because you know you you tune down not for this one song you know this one time 